So this morning, we are going to continue our series through the book of Hebrews. If you've been tracking along uh, throughout the summer, we started at Hebrews 1, and today we find ourselves all the way in Hebrews chapter 12, um, and we are going to be reading from Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 17. It's that Hebrews 12, 1 through 17, page 1111 in the Blue Bibles, if you don't have one. And so because at Flourishing Grace, we believe that our Bible is a copy of God's word. Um, out of reverence for God and for his word, I'll ask you if you're able to please stand for the reading of the word. This is Hebrews 12, starting at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure, God, uh, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is uh, lame may not be out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sought his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for, the, uh, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, friends. How's everybody doing? Okay? All right. Hey, man, my name is Josh Nye, the pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Flourishing Grace, and I'm excited to get uh, into the Word with you guys this morning. I've had, I've had four weeks off. It's been crazy. And so here we go. Let's let's do it. We're going to drink from the fire hose a little bit, as you can tell, even as Austin was reading that text. It is just, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning, but really we're just going to answer one one question, one question, and that's this. What does uh, Christian endurance look like? What does Christian endurance 
look like? And what does it look like for Christians to endure? Last Sunday, uh, my dear friend Joseph Kinney was in town. He took us into Hebrews chapter 11 and kind of through Moses, he asked the question or answered the question, then how does the Christian endure? This morning we're going to say, okay, what does Christian endurance actually look like? And we see it in the world. When the Christian, when the follower of Jesus turns on the television and sees what's happening in Afghanistan, how, how, what is their response like? How do they endure? When they see what's going on right here at home, when they turn on the news and they see politics, or they turn on social media and they see just fighting and bitterness and craziness, how do they endure? When, they, when we look outside of the world, how do we endure? When we look inside of our own lives, at our own marriages and our own families, at our own kind of stress, our own anxiety, and our own kind of careers, how, how, what does Christian endurance actually look like? What does it look like for you and I to be men and women of endurance? What does that look like? Now, I know not everybody in the room this morning is a follower of Jesus. Not everybody watching online is a follower of Jesus. But I think even for you who are not followers of Jesus, as we kind of peek behind the curtain, we must remember, right, that the author here in Hebrews, he's a preacher, and he's preaching to these Jewish Christians in Rome. So he's, he's speaking to Christians. And so often in Hebrews, and we're speaking directly to followers of Jesus, but I think even if you're not a follower of Jesus, kind of looking behind the curtain, you see, man, what is the difference? What is the difference between the way the world tries to endure and the way that Christians endure? What does it look like for Christians to endure? And we're going to see three things this morning in our, in our text. First, we're going to see that Christians acknowledge that life is a race to be endured, and it's to be endured with Jesus. Right? We're going to see that Christians understand and they acknowledge, they accept the fact that life is a race to be endured and to be endured with Jesus. Second, we're going to see that Christians view discipline as a divine and loving act that helps them to endure. We'll talk more about what that means in a few minutes, but we're going to see that Christians view discipline as a divine and loving act that helps them to grow in their endurance, to endure. And then lastly, we're going to see that Christians boldly give their lives to help others, other followers of Jesus do the same. They give their lives to boldly help other followers of Jesus also Endure. So we're going to see those three things this morning as we unpack this text together. So let's go. Part one, Christians acknowledge that life is a race to be endured with Jesus. Right out of the gate, Hebrews 12, 1, which might be the most famous uh, text in the entire book of Hebrews. The author says it this way. He says, therefore, right? therefore, looking back at all of chapter 11, everything we saw in chapter 11, chapter 11 is the hall of faith. It's all of these men and all of these women from the, whole, from the Old Testament who were commended, as the author says, for their faith. These are the heroes of faith, the heroes of the, the Jewish people uh, that have gone before them and who have lived lives of great faithful endurance. And we walk through, we didn't do this, there's so many of them, basically every person in the Old Testament that you could think of that was a good person is listed in chapter 11 in one way, shape, or form. We looked at Abel, we looked at Abraham, we looked at Moses, but there's so many more. David is there, Isaiah is there, Jeremiah is there, so many of them are there. And so the author says, therefore, given all of these people and the way that they endured, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run 
with endurance the race set before us. There it is, right? We acknowledge that life is a race of endurance. And so let us run with endurance the race set before us. Now, I moved here seven and a half years ago from Chicago. Um, and the craziest Sunday of the year in Chicago, the craziest Sunday of the year by far, is Marathon Sunday. The Chicago Marathon is the as one of the largest marathons in the entire world. It is insanely massive. Um, and everybody wants to run the Chicago Marathon. And not just the number of runners, but the number of spectators. The streets are lined with tens of thousands of people who show up to see people uh, run, cheer them on, right? And so Sunday morning, nobody is at church because you can't even, my, our church that I worked at in Chicago is right downtown in the heart of the city. And no one comes because you can't get there. The streets are closed off. They're, they're so crowded. They're so packed. And I was at Green Church at the 5.30 p.m. gathering. And on Marathon Sunday, it was packed, right? Everybody's like, I ain't even getting out of my house this morning. Like, I'll come tonight. Um, and so I was packed on Sunday night. So what we would do in the morning is I would ask my friends who are running the marathon or had run the marathon in the past, what's, the, what's kind of the hardest stretch? What's the hardest leg of this journey? And without a doubt, they all said the same thing. Chinatown. Chinatown's always the hardest place because Chinatown sits right at mile 20. You walk through Windsor Park. Windsor Park is like a mile, like four and eight is Windsor Park. And like there are thousands of people on the street at Windsor Park cheering people on. And at mile four, they feel like, you're like, you're just like, just start. And I feel like, great. Mile eight, you're like, I, I can do this all day long. But by mile 20 in Chinatown, there's nobody there. It's like all of a sudden we like ran into the desert and nobody is there. And so we would rally a bunch of people the church and we'd go down to mile 20 in Chinatown. We took over this little bakery. We'd buy everybody baked goods and we'd line the streets and cheer people on as they run through Chinatown because I don't want anybody to be left alone at mile 20. And we'd cheer everybody on. We'd run with them. We'd hold signs. We'd just go crazy at mile 20 with the bells out. Right? And here's what the author is saying. The author of Hebrews is saying, man, there is in your life, in your life, and in my life, and in his audience life, there is no mile 20. There's no mile 20. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the heroes of our faith, the Abels, the Abrahams, the Moses, the Daniels, the Davids, they are looking on at your life and at my life and saying, come on, baby, let's go, keep running. You can endure this. You can endure it. Those who have gone before us, those who have endured faithfully to the end, are looking back and they're saying, come on, let's go. There is no place in your life. There is no moment in the darkest hour of your soul. There's never a moment when you are not surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. When you're not surrounded by heroes of faith who are cheering you on and saying, come on, baby, let's go. You can do this. Let's go keep, keep moving one foot in front of the other. Life is a race to be endured. But now here's the reality. Most of the world, and many followers of Jesus even, don't want to acknowledge that this is actually true, that, that life is a race to be endured. Because if we acknowledge that life is a race to be endured, that means that there's a beginning to all of this, and, and there's an end to all of this. And how we run this race matters in the end. Our ability to endure matters in the end. We don't want to think about that. I, I don't want to think that there's an end to all of this and how I'm living my life right now matters. I just want to numb it all. I want to bury my mind in something else and I think that one day this is going to come to an end and how I'm living right now matters in that day, in that moment. We as 
Blase Pascal was a mathematician and philosopher and theologian and brilliant man from Seminary said, he said, we run heedlessly into the abyss after putting something in front of us to stop us from seeing it. I love that line because it's so true. It's like we drive the car right off the cliff and we put like a billboard in front of us and say, look over here. Like, look at this. Like, look at this. Like, and we just want it. We want that. We want Netflix. We want 24-hour news cycle. We want social media. We just want, to, we just want anything that will kind of bury our heads and numb us from thinking about the reality that life is a race to be endured. But the truth is, it doesn't matter how much you try to numb it. It doesn't matter how much you try to escape it. You cannot escape it. Life is a race to be endured. And Christians acknowledge that. And they live their lives accordingly. In, in the early 1900s, uh, there was a great exploration that took place. Um, Ernest Shackleton led a group of men to the South Pole, or tried to anyways. They, they, they tried to cross Antarctica, all to try to walk across Antarctica. They took a ship um, to, down to Antarctica, and the ship got stuck in the ice pack. The ship was known, it's called the Endurance. That's the name of the ship. And the ship, and it was filled with these men, stuck in the ice flow and could not move and eventually the ice came in so tight against the ship that it crushed it and it sank. They got all of their possessions off of the ship and they lived on an ice flow for nearly two years. For two years these men lived on an ice flow in Antarctica and finally in the end uh, a few of them took a rowboat and rode it 800 and some odd miles to a whaling encampment where they would find help find rescue. And not one of them died. Not one of them died, which is insane, which is nuts. These were insanely tough men. They brought like 60-some dogs, and they ate them all. Uh, and, then, and then after that was gone, they lived off of seal blubber for two years. And like, yes, the, the saying of these men was this, that the ship was made of wood, and the men were made of steel. Like, that's, yeah, these were men. Uh, like, men. How Shackleton uh, recruited these men is pretty, a pretty famous story. There's a debate on whether or not this is true, but what, what they say is he put an ad in the paper, and the ad read this way. Men wanted for hazardous journeys, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in the event of success. Who's in? Who's ready to go? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, I got one, one crazy man in the back. Yes, he happens to be a Navy SEAL. Um, <laughs> most people are like, I'm out, right? But there's a few. There's a few. There's a few crazies that are like, oh, yeah, okay, sign me up. That, maybe that, sounds, that sounds good. Here's the reality. Here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. Here's what I'm trying to get you to. The moment you were born, you signed up. You didn't have a choice. You, you were birthed into this insane endurance, not a marathon, but a life and death expedition, a, a, a deep race of endurance, an ultra, ultra, ultra marathon. And, and the success rate is very, very low. Most will not make it. Now listen, we're all going to make it to the end. Every single one of us in this room, we're going to make it to the end, but we're not all going to make it to the end. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? We're all going to die, but we're not all going to be 
endure together. We will not all faithfully endure together. The truth is that some of us in this room will not faithfully endure together. That is the reality. Most will not endure to the end. This is what you were born into. And the Christian, the Christian acknowledges this. We acknowledge that life is a race to be endured, but then we realize it's to be endured with Jesus. In fact, it's the only way that we will ever endure. The author goes right into it in verse 2. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He was before everybody in chapter 11. He was before Moses. He was before Abraham. He was before Abel. He was before all of them in chapter 11. He's the founder and he's also the perfecter of our faith. He's the only one who has perfectly endured. At the end of chapter 11, we see that all these heroes, these men and women, they were commended for their faith, but not one, not one received the promise. Not one actually did it perfectly. Not one actually did it well. There's only one head. There's only one ever will. Jesus. Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Consider him. Think on him. Lift your gaze to him. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. All over our life, in this journey, on this path that we call life, that Satan is setting up snares, right? He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. All around us, there are, there are things that want to attached to our lives that are going to weigh us down and bring us down, or snares of sin that are going to, that are going to hinder us from, from running this race, and they're going to stop us from enduring to the end. Things that are going to catch us up in our lives that are going to distract us from, from, from fixing our gaze on Jesus. All kinds of ways that you want to pull our head down, pull our head down into our work, pull our head down into your television, pull our, pull our head down into social media, pull our head down into the mundane every day, day in and day out, and remove them from seeing Jesus. Sin throws us off course and distracts us. Jesus is the only way that we endure this. The great Puritan preacher John Owen put it this way. He said this, meet temptation, meet these snares, meet this weight, meet this sin with faith in Christ and his redemption. Faith does this, it resists temptation, by laying hold of Christ's redemptive work in love since he suffered for our sin. Now listen, let your temptation be what it will, whether fear or doubt or depression, whether it's outside, you look at the world, you say, man, I'm afraid of the future of my kids. I'm afraid of what's happening around the world. I'm afraid of what's happening in our country. I'm afraid of what's happening in my backyard. And I am facing anxiety and depression in my career or in my family or in my marriage. Let it be what it will. It is not able to stand before faith that lifts up the standard of the cross. Some cross themselves with the sign of the cross, and by virtue of that, think to scare away the devil. But to act in faith in Christ crucified is to truly sign ourselves and thereby overcome 
the wicked one. We sign our lives by lifting up Christ crucified. And when we fix our gaze on him, when we, when we look to Christ, we consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. When we consider what he has endured, when we consider what he has gone through, and all of our things shrivel in comparison to that, you have not endured that much. You will hardly, I don't think any of us in the room will ever endure that much. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Not me. And so in my dark hour, I lift my gaze to Christ, the fishing mystery of Christ, and my life is a race to be endured, but it will only be endured with Jesus. I must fix my gaze on him. I must consider him. In order to flourish to the end, our eyes must be on Jesus alone. And friends, this is far harder than actually saying. My older gray-haired friends in the room and yours in the years, you know it's far harder than saying. It's easy to say, far harder to do. The greatest aim of the devil is to simply take your eyes off Jesus. Whether that's by making you comfortable or making you truly uncomfortable, he employs it through many different means, but they all have the same aim. To take your eyes off of Jesus. Because without that, you cannot endure. Here in the West, we are very comfortable people. A hyper-individualistic culture. You see, comfortable people become independent people. And in their independence, self-reliance, and comfort, they simply take their eyes off the picture of endurance. In, in our comfort, it is easy for us say, well, I don't, I don't really need that right now because everything is, everything's good. And the next thing you know, we are being slowed and we're failing to endure because we've forgotten our first love. We've forgotten the one who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. We've forgotten the perfect picture of endurance. We've removed our eyes from Jesus. We must be a people who consider him. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, everything else fades. Right, the world says, the world says, and the way that you endure to the end is by making as much money as you possibly can while you're young. Right? You stockpile it up so that someday you are free financially. Nothing can ensnare you, nothing can enslave you, because you are financially able to overcome all of these obstacles. But the Christian looks at Jesus and says, That's not true. The founder of See, we look at Jesus and we become a radically generous people and are set free from the love of money and are able to endure to the end. The world says, and the way that you endure to the end is by become super successful in your career. Right? If you can just if you can just not get stuck in kind of this middle management ladder, you can actually rise above that. You can come to this place where you are free to kind of name your own terms. You're free to set your own hours. You're free to have unlimited vacation days. You can obtain that. That's how you're going to endure to the end. You're not going to be bogged down by, by the work that, that life requires of you. You'll be free from that. But when we look at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of the faith, we consider him, who endured to consider such hostility against himself. That's not true of him. That's not true of me. And the Christians, rather than being a people who are marked by burying their heads in the work, lift their gaze to Christ, and become people of Sabbath 
rest, the silence and solitude, and are actually set free to indeed. Christians understanding that we must have Jesus in order to be with him. Next, Christians view discipline as a loving and divine act that helps us to endure. We view discipline as a loving and divine act, or divine and loving act that helps us to endure. This is where the author goes next. He says this in verse 5. He says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating the sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? What he's saying here is that in case you have forgotten you, you Jewish Christians in Rome, you are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And what that means is you're going to have to endure a little discipline from him as your father. You, flourishing grace, sons and daughters of the Most High God. But that's true. You have to endure a little discipline from God our Father. This, this checks our American theology a little bit, all right? Just, just a little bit. Um, it totally does, right? When we view God as Father, right, we, we, we kind of place our picture of what Dad was like on him. For some of us in the room, that means that we view him as this one who is kind of constantly angry, right? Constantly looking for any way that he can to punish us. Constantly looking for any way that he can to, like, correct us, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe for those of you who are a little bit older in the room, this is like how you view him. Like you fight against this, 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 this view of God as kind of this curmudgeonly old man who's constantly just sitting there waiting for you to mess up. But then for some of you in the room, maybe even those who are a little bit younger, you've been taught that God is this infinite loving being who would never, ever, 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 ever cause you any discomfort or cause you any harm or cause you anything that, that would in any way, shape, or form make you feel anything other than by yourself. The problem is, neither one of those things is fully true. In fact, neither one of those things are really true at all in any way, shape, or form. And the author is making this very, very clear. But the Lord disciplines those who he disciplines us. you got to look at verse 6. Yes, God loves you with an infinite love. He loves you more than anyone will ever love you. He loves you more than you will love, ever love anyone, anyone in your life. He loves you with a love that is incomprehensible. The Lord disciplines those who love. That's what verse 6 tells us. You know, so often we want to take that, and I've heard preachers take that, and say, no, no, it's, it's like God disciplines us. It's, it's you know, when you're going through trouble in life, there's a hardship, there's a thing, it's, it's like he was just, no, no, no. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Well, yeah, yeah, he kind of gently, like, re-steers us back onto the course. No, no, he chastises those whom he receives. That word chastises in the Greek is the word stego. Um, it's not found very many places in, in the Bible. Only a few. And all of the other ones, only this one, have to do with the flogging of Jesus. All of them. This is not a pretty picture. What the author is saying, the preacher is saying to his Jewish Christian audience who is enduring intense persecution, they're losing their jobs, they're being thrown in jail. Some are going missing. Those are the gospel to those 
You see, we view discipline in the wrong way. We view discipline as kind of a, a judge who is punishing rather than a father or a loving coach who's coaching, who's helping you to grow in your endurance. You see, I got two little boys at home, uh, Winston who's seven and Hadley who's four. Uh, and since Winston was a little little kid, since Winston was a little baby, uh, our driveway, we live on 4th North, right here. It's a busy street up the hill. Um, and cars come flying down 4th North all the time. So since Winston was a little boy, there was a crack in the driveway. We say, all right, buddy, listen, you cannot go past that crack. My, my boys know where that crack's at. It would take a thousand times. You can't go past that crack. And Winston, he's older. He's kind of figuring this out. He's like, all right, I got it. I know. I'm not going to go past where I got it. It's all good. But Haddon... Uh, not so much. Hadden's our little firecracker. He loves to push the boundaries in everything in, in his life. Um, and, and for him, I, I'll say, okay, buddy, here's the crack. You can't go past that. There's danger over there. And I'll go back inside. I'm doing things. I look out. And he's, he's like down at the edge of the street. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? I run up there. Like, I'm like, pull him back. Like, listen, there's so much danger over there. There's cars and there's death. This car cannot stop by. They're going to crush you. Look over here. You got toys and your brother and this your bike and your scooter and your baseball stuff. Go play. He's like, ah, I'd rather have to go play. You know, a little while later, he's at the window. And there he is down by the street again. I'm like, come on, man. I go out there, I pull him back. Like, listen, buddy, you cannot go past that line. If you go past that line, listen, you're going to get in trouble. Kid, you cannot go past it. It's too dangerous. Go back in the house. Start doing some things. Look out. And sure enough, there he is again. The kid. Like, I go out there, I grab him, I pull him back out, I swat his butt, I bring him inside, I put him inside, and I say, you're staying in the house, you can't go back outside. Why? Not listen, you gotta hear me on this. You gotta hear me on this. Not every bad thing in your life is the discipline of the Lord. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. However, I will say this, I'll testify to this. God is if you're a follower of Jesus, God is using every ounce of your pain, every ounce of your sorrow, and every ounce of your suffering is turning it into good. I do believe that. I do believe that. We live in the life of God, God allows, he, he sends Satan, he allows, he puts all that pain in the world, he is using it for Joseph's good, he's, he's building Joseph's endurance, every ounce of it is meaningful, every ounce of it can be used for your good. God is treating us as sons and daughters, and so the call of the preacher is do not regard it lightly or be made weary by it. We must be a people who train ourselves to ask, how might God be forming me in the midst of this inconvenience? Every day of my life, there are opportunities for me to ask that question. It's way harder than you think to be disciplined enough to ask that question. How might God be forming me in the midst of my pain? How might God be forming me in the midst of my trouble? How might God be forming me in the midst of my sorrow, in the midst of my anxiety, in the midst of this turmoil? And 
Second, what does faithful patience endurance look like right now? So what does faithful patient endurance look like right now? So how might God be using this in my life? And what does it look like for me to faithfully and patiently endure through this? Whatever it is, whether it's something going on in your career, something going on in your family, something going on in you personally, something going on in the world around you, and how is God using this to shape me? How is he using it to shape his church? How is he using this to form us? For me, and how do I specifically faithfully and patiently endure through this season? I want to be formed by God. And I, want, I don't want to be formed by the things of this world. But it's important for us to realize that the formation of the world is often easy. It's as easy as turning on the television and putting up the signs. The formation of God is often painful and hard. It's called called to endurance. And every time God is doing this, every time, every time there's pain or sorrow, God is lifting our gaze out of the things of this world and he's fixing it back on God. I met with a friend this week whose daughter is going through some intense uh, struggle, emotionally, uh, spiritually, and, and health. She's, she's struggling in so many different ways. And, and my friend has sat on my couch in Starbucks looking into the things that her daughter is going through and, and said to me, Jeff, I just, I don't remember a time in my life ever where I have just been on my knees and praying so hard that God would restore her, that God would refresh her, that God would bring her back. And with this text in mind, I thought, man, how sweet and merciful is our God. That he would use this pain to bring you to the place where you are once again completely desperate for him. Where, where all the gaze is forced up back to consider him who endured for sinners hostility against himself. The founder and perfect of our faith, and for the joy set before him, endured the cross and despised the shame. Your gaze is fixed on him because of the pain you are suffering and enduring. You love him and you don't know it. You love him and you don't know it. You discipline those you love. And the Christians understand this. They know that discipline is a divine and loving act helps us to endure. Lastly, with boldness, Christians give their, their lives to help follow followers of Jesus do the same. With boldness, we give our lives and help our brothers and sisters in Christ do the same thing. Here's how the author of Hebrews puts it in verse 12. It says, therefore, there's another therefore. Even everything I just said, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weakened knees. Right? With boldness, you're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. God, your loving Father, is disciplining you because he loves you. Therefore, be bold in this. Lift your gaze to Christ. Lift your drooping knees, hands, and strengthen your, your knees. Come on, let's go. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness with which no one will see the Lord. Look at verse 16. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Make sure that those snares of the devil are not ensnaring those around you, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. 
Two questions for us. Two questions. First, how, how are you used? And how are you used? I know what you did at the time. How are you really doing? How, how are you enduring? Are you enduring with boldness? Patiently and safely enduring with boldness? Fixing your gaze on Jesus? Here's the truth. We are terrible at enduring. In the West, not, not a strong suit. Strengths finders, not the top of the list, okay? Endurance, not the top of the list. Listen, last year, last year, people were like, it's just so hard. Can't you wear tennis shorts? But really? Was it hard? Like mass. I mean, things preachers aren't going to talk about in church. Politics, money, sex, mass. Uh, add it to the list. This is not about mass. Listen to me. Uh, this is how, how we responded. We had people who either were like, look at me, look how great I am. Or, uh, I'm not even there. Infringement of my rights. Give me that life. Either way, either way, neither one of us endured. Neither one of us fixed our gaze on Jesus and said, in the founder of the I will faithfully and patiently endure. Like, you can't even endure that. So many things. Faithfully and patiently endure every trial and experience. Did, did it just drive you crazy? Or did you wear it with badge of honor? Say, look, look, look how good I am for Jesus. Neither one of them. Neither one of them. We still get enduring. We still get. And I wonder how many of us in this room and how many of us in our country, in the world, miss out on what could have been the greatest spiritual formation in our life as God disciplined those who he loves because we refuse to endure. We refuse to die every day with Jesus. Take up our cross and follow him. We refuse to quit. And therefore we, we can't we can't be with James who says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Was it joyful for you? Did you meet it with joy? Friends, we must learn to endure. Because every task that we face in life will only get worse. Happy Sunday. There will be days in heaven. In your life, there will be days in heaven you will choose to endure. Consider him who endured from sinners without saving himself, so that you may become righteous. Just keep gazing on Jesus. And learn to endure. Second question, last question. How are those around you doing right now? Well, your friends, your fellow followers, these people who are sitting in the room right now, how, how, are, how are we doing? How, how are they doing? We're called to be a people who would with boldness, with boldness, give our lives to helping others endure as well. And there are people in this room who you, who you could say, they were my friends, and you say, no, 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 they're not doing that anymore. It got easy last year, and they're not doing it anymore. How are we doing? Who, who are the people in your lives that, that you know right now they're struggling? Are you with boldness? 
peeking into their lives. They may not see you for a while. Or, hey, I know this is going on, and I know you keep saying you're fine, but you're not fine. We are called to be a people who make sure, this is what the author says in verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Are we watching out for each other? Are we leaning into each other's lives? And saying, hey, man, I do, your gaze is down there in that muck, in that mire. We need to lift it. We're not Christ because you are not enduring. And I need to make sure that you endure to the end. I need to make sure that you make it. Who in your life right now is struggling to make it? Struggling to endure in relationship with Jesus? Who in your life? Maybe you don't step in and make it. Your boldness might not make you make it. Let us be a people who lift our feet in humility and strengthen our weak Fix our gaze on you. To lean in to the lives of our fellow followers of Jesus. Loving and kindly and directing their gaze towards Christ. Let me pray for you.